BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. of the Flyers Talk podcast. Today is Monday, May 11th. Katie Emmer and Jordan Hall joining you always. And Jordan, we have a very special guest making his first appearance on the podcast, but he is certainly no stranger to Flyers Nation. Yes, Katie, but we are absolutely thrilled to introduce former Flyer and current NBC analyst, Brian Boucher. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good to be with you. Yeah, and uh, I feel like, you know, sometimes, Jordan, we've made like a makeshift drum roll. We definitely needed a drum roll for this one, but maybe we can put that in post-production. Um, Brian, how are you? Where are you? Um, how's your family and how are you holding up through all this uh, NHL pot? Yeah, uh, doing well. Um, I'm in uh, Haddonfield, New Jersey, and I uh, got my, my two kids home. I got a 17-year-old boy who was living in Michigan uh, playing at the U.S. program, so he's home um, a little earlier than we would have wanted. Uh, and my daughter is with us as well. She's 15 years old. So we've spent a lot of quality time together, a lot of dinners, uh, cooking together. Uh, you know, we're finding, we're finding, uh, you know, finding it challenging, obviously, but we're getting through it and, uh, we're spending quality time. We're all healthy, thankful for that, but, uh, certainly missing, uh, missing hockey, missing, you know, what we do on a regular basis and, and hoping we can get back to some normalcy at some point here. Yeah, Brian, what are the, some of the things that y you and your family are doing just to stay busy and uh, stay active? Well, fortunately, we have a, we got a gym in the garage, so able to, to work out and blow some steam off that way. Um, you know, working on our culinary skills, I think. Uh, we've all kind of worked on that and uh, watching a lot of TV. And uh, I'd like to say that I'm picking up reading, but I don't think I'm quite doing that. I'd be lying if I said I was doing that. Watching a lot of documents and stuff like that but uh certainly using my netflix account that's for sure but uh we're, we're you know what we're we're getting through it and uh like i said everybody's healthy so you know there's not a lot to complain about that way i know that a lot of people have it a lot worse than than we do and um certainly fortunate uh, to have good health and, and hoping that we get through this here at some point Right. Yeah, that's the most important. Going back to your son back from Michigan. I know you said he's back a little early, but I mean, the bright side of this, are you at least putting him to work? Are you using like taking advantage of putting him to work with house projects? Anything like that? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Uh, they've got enough work with their schoolwork that the kids have to get done. And uh, he's got his own uh, regimen and routine that he has to stay on with uh, yeah. with his team and working out and stuff like that. Fortunately, we have the equipment for him to do that and stay on top of things. So um, no, I'm letting him off the hook. I even take the garbage out. I do all that stuff. <laughs> I need to stay, I need to stay busy myself. It's not like I'm overly busy that I can't, uh, do the work. So there's no delegating of chores. I try to get after it and, and do my fair share. Love it. That's great. And, and Brian shifting gears a little bit, uh, with, with some news today, we saw that the AHL 
was forced to uh, cancel the remainder of the regular season and the playoffs. Um, I know a lot of people are wondering how that possibly relates to the NHL and its decision. Do you feel like there's any relation and how are they kind of different? I don't think there's, I don't think there's any uh, relation truthfully. I mean, when you look at the American hockey league, it's a a gate revenue driven league. Uh, They don't have TV money. uh, So a lot of the revenues come from fans showing up to the games and also sponsorships. So, it makes total sense that if they were to play games in front of empty buildings, that there would be no revenue for any of those clubs. Uh, so I don't think there's any tie into the national hockey. The NHL has TV deals and obviously, uh, it, you know, if, and when the NHL does come back, uh, there may be no fans in the stands. So it's going to be all about TV uh, at that point. So uh, I don't see the connection. The only thing is, you know, for those players that, you know, the questions that I have is guys that, um, you know, may potentially uh, be called up to NHL rosters come playoff time. You know, we hear about, you know, the black aces uh, that get called up and practice on the side, but not with the team. You got to wonder if those numbers will increase if the NHL does come back because these guys are essentially missing out on a a key component of their development uh, with regards to the end of their season and playoffs. You know, they're all young players looking to get to the next level. And the fact that they're shut down right now from a development standpoint, you can see that those guys would have concerns uh, if, if and when the NHL does come back. If I, was an, if I was an American League player, I'd be on the phone with my agent saying, I want to get called up yeah. to the NHL team so that I can be practicing, working out, staying engaged. I don't want to be home if, if the NHL is up and running. Yeah, and for the Flyers' sake, Morgan Frost is certainly one of those people right now um, working mm-hmm. that out. With, with that, though, we get a statement from uh, the AHL, but going back to last week, the NHL and NHL Players Association um, giving out a statement saying they hope you know, players would be returning to their pl- practice facilities mid to late May. And, of course, Jordan and I mentioned this. you got to love seeing the different plans with you know, return to play, committees regularly meeting, and also the playoff format, different ideas with that and how that's going to work out. And, of course, I mean, we all can only, you know, estimate what's going to happen because there's nothing set in stone right now. But a big rumor, Brian, this 24, uh, 24 team playoff format. What are your thoughts on this? And I guess what's the most ideal format in your eyes for the playoffs? I like it. Uh, and, and the reason why I like it is if you think about the teams that are so far out of it, um, what is the motivation for those players on teams that are, you know, have no hope of making the playoffs? You know, they're going to have to come back, go through a camp to play – 12 meaningless games for them, uh, you know, to be away potentially if they do the hub cities away from their families. Uh, They've been off for a fair amount of time. I I don't see the benefit for those guys. Um, So therefore the 2014 playoff format sounds good to me. Now it gets some teams in the mix that may have been on the outside looking in. It looks like it would be a best of three from what I'm hearing a best of three play in, uh, which would make for an interesting uh, scenario. I mean, you, 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 you get off to a slow start and you could be on the outside looking in, but it certainly keeps some teams in the mix. And I think it's the teams that when you look at the standings from a conference standpoint, you know, these are teams that were within striking distance. Anyhow, you could make an argument that they, you know, in the last 12 games or so could make a run to get into the playoffs. So in a lot of ways it, it does play into it being fair. And then also for those seven teams out, those are the teams that become uh, eligible for the, for, the, for the draft, number one draft pick. So I, I think it's a good system. Uh, hopefully we can get to it. Obviously, there's a lot of logistics to get through. But uh, I like the idea of it. And I think if I'm a player, I would be excited knowing that if I was one of those outside teams 
trying to get in that I now have, you know, some some hope uh, going forward to, to win a Stanley Cup. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. There's been a lot of uh, discussion as well, Brian, about when to hold the NHL entry draft. Uh, do you have any take on it? you know, if the NHL should do it in June still, or do they have to wait until this uh, season ends? What do you think about that? Uh, I, I think it's fine holding it in June. Um, I get, you know, we're, we're typically used to doing it when everything is done, all the seedings are done. We know where teams stood uh, at the end of, you know, the Stanley cup playoffs, but you know, this is, these are challenging times. It's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns. And I think if we just make a decision based on the information that we have and say, you know, the bottom seven teams are draft, uh, are lottery eligible. And then after that, you know, the, the, the following 24 teams figure out a system where maybe they're not locked into where they are in the standings, but they can jump around maybe two, three spots possibly. And just tell the teams, look, it's not ideal. This is not how it used to be. Uh, there's no sense in belly aching about it. We'll set it. We'll set the ground rules for it, and we'll go from there and try to, you know, for these kids too. It'd be nice for the ones that are draft eligible to kind of get that out of the way because you know there's a lot of uncertainty in their lives too, whether or not they would be returning to play major junior or some kids who are uh, getting ready to go to college in the fall. This will knock out one of those pieces in their lives that they know, okay, I'm drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. I kind of got that out of the way. Now I can look forward to enrolling in school or wherever I'm, I'm going to next year and try to resu resume some normalcy in their life. And then on top of it, I think it generates some interest uh, for NHL fans who have been starving for some, some content with regards to NHL hockey that it's something new. It's not reliving a game from 1979 or, a, you know, a five overtime game back in yeah. 2000. They might be like, hey, let's get something current and something that we can wrap our heads around that's uh, new and exciting. Yeah, um, and speaking of that uncertainties, just overall with these players, I mean, when you played, you, you know your offseason, you kind of know your timetable of, okay, I have to be ready at this point. I mean, right now in a situation like this, you have little to no access. I say little to no because Ivan Provorov has been having his own ice sheet during this uh, pause. But most guys don't have access to ice. Um, mentally and physically, how challenging is this as an NHL player to stay ready and, and be ready to go? Very hard. Very hard. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the, you know, the lockout years uh, that I went through as a player. Uh, but even in those situations, I mean, we had access to gyms. We had access to rinks. Uh, we could we could stay sharp with our game that way. In this case, not only is there uncertainty of when you will get back to work from a team standpoint, but there's you don't have access to maybe a gym that you worked out at, your trainer that you use, your uh, the the ice facility that you use in the off season as well. So. Uh, if you're a guy that is not a star player or maybe you're a guy that is kind of like on the second half of your career and maybe you have one foot in, one foot out, there's going to be a lot of anxiety on these players as to knowing when they're going to get back at it. Uh, are they going to lose a step? Uh, will there, you, you know, what, what's going to happen with the salary cap? There's going to be a lot of things that are playing in these guys' minds as to whether or not their careers will be affected uh, by this long term. Uh, you hope that, at some point, we can have more stories like Ivan Proverb where they're able to get to the ring, start working out, and blow, you know, blow some steam off that way and kind of start looking down the road knowing what they have to do to get ready and kind of resume their lives. 
not that, you know, these are, these are champagne problems to the general public as far as like, you know, what it means to be a pro athlete, but those are the challenges for these guys. You know, they're, they're worried about their careers. They're worried about their livelihoods. They want to make sure that they can get back to work. And if they can do that, uh, it'll go a long way in easing their, their anxieties. To continue to draw on your playing experience, Brian, uh, we always love to relive 2009-10, hmm. uh, your crazy shootout win over the Rangers. It seemed like once you guys got into the playoffs, there was sort of a special feeling kind of brewing around that team. I wanted to ask, do you, do you feel like the 2019-20 Flyers, I know they were in a different spot right now, uh, but do you feel like they kind of had something brewing to the point where they could have made a run if, if the season does resume? Yeah, I do, Jordan. I think, um, you know, I think timing is everything in, in, in hockey. Uh, you know, you can have a great roster on paper and it may never work out or maybe there's bumps in the road at certain times of the year where, you know, you can't get your game going. Um, but if you can find, you know, your game at the right time, I think that is key. And that's what happened for us in 2009, 2010. We kind of stumbled around all year long. We had a coaching change. We had injuries. And we were able to get in and find confidence, even in the midst of adversity uh, through the playoffs. I mean, we had a lot of injuries uh, in the playoffs, but still worked our way through it. And for this 2019-2020 team, it just felt like, you know, they had the coaching change uh, in the offseason. And they bring in some new faces, yet they, they're dealing with some adversity in the sense that they, you know, Oscar Lindblom's uh, unfortunate news and then also Nolan Patrick being out. Yet this club seemed to uh, exceed expectations, I think. And I think they came together as a group and really started to, to bond and play good hockey at the right time of year. And that's what's really unfortunate is that when it shut down, the Flyers were really humming. And you wonder what this team would have looked like heading into the playoffs in a normal uh, scenario, uh, I, I would think that teams would have been scared to play that team. And uh, I don't know how it's going to play when they come back, if they can restart the engine. But uh, I think better days are ahead for the Philadelphia Flyers. The additions of some of the veterans that they added in the offseason, Kevin Hayes, Justin Braun, Matt Niskanen, they've been valuable pieces uh, to a young nucleus that, that maybe was starving for a little more leadership uh, inside that locker room. And I think it's I think it's uh, been a really good thing for this Flyers team. Yeah, they're looking for a deep playoff run. Hopefully that, again, will continue this season and in the future, as you mentioned. But speaking of deep playoff runs, going back to that 2010 Stanley Cup uh, playoff run, you get past the Devils. And what I want to talk about is this Boston Bruins series. You guys are down 3 nothing in the series, and in game four, you turn it around and win four straight. What was the mentality in game four? I mean, what was that vibe like? And, and how were you guys able to just get the job done and win four straight like that? I think we, we as, a, as a whole, we didn't feel like we deserved to be down 3 nothing in that series. Uh, personally, I don't think I played as good as I could have played or that I did play in the New Jersey series. So sometimes the difference between winning and losing is a save here and there. Uh, didn't, didn't do that in games one and two in Boston. Fell down 2 nothing. And then I didn't have a very good game in game three, although my team played great in front of me in game three. And I think we lost that game four, one or something like that. Maybe there's an empty netter, but the, the mindset for game four is win one game. Like you just got to win one game and live to see another day. Uh, and, and, you know, and see what happens after that. You know, the underlying uh, story in that series was that in game three, David Krejci was knocked out of the game and eventually yeah. out of the series by a Mike Richards hit, was, which at the time you don't realize how important it is. But looking back, you know, it was a big moment. And then also um, 
Simone Gagne coming back early from injury from a broken foot and surgery to play game four to give us an emotional boost. And then eventually he scored the game winner in, in game four of overtime. So you, you couple those things, need to win one game, get a little couple of breaks like that. Now all of a sudden you start building momentum. Boston feels like they go home for game five. Yeah, we still got a 3-1 series lead. No need to panic. But then they lose game five and they're like, uh-oh. Like now the momentum has shifted and that's when you can start to feel it, at, you know, in a, in, a, in a setting like that. You can almost feel like, oh my goodness, like once that momentum slips out of your hands, it can be tough to recapture. And for us, we, we got that momentum and, and carried it all the way through. Right. How important was the, the influence of Peter Laviolette and with the coaching change? I, I was wondering if it had any similarities to Elaine Vignon and what he's done. Obviously, I know uh, the one was midseason, the one was offseason, but it seems like a coach with that type of pedigree, pedigree can really change things. Yeah, coaching changes typically do uh, bring about, um, you know, a jolt, I think, initially. There's no doubt about it. I think uh, just a different voice. All of a sudden now as a player, you know, you've got to try and impress a new guy if you want to earn some more ice time. Uh, so definitely it's an attention grabber in the situation with Laviolette to John Stevens. Johnny was a guy that I played with in the minors, a real kind of like, he's a fiery guy, but a quiet guy, a reserve guy chooses his words carefully, kind of measured. Lavi was more fiery and more intense and his, you know, his speeches inspired you and he wanted to play an up-tempo uh, type of game where I think Johnny wanted to be a little more defensive. Um, and I think that that system change for us helped. And I also think the new voice coming in helped, uh, you know, kind of give us that kick in the rear end that we needed. With regards to Vino, I mean, it's an off-season change, but this is a guy that I think when he walked in that Flyers locker room, guys had instant uh, respect for him, for what he's accomplished in his NHL career. Um, you know, he's taken multiple teams to Stanley Cup finals. There's accountability. He seemed to be holding these veterans accountable, where it's no longer like they were running the show there was a new boss in town and there was somebody that you had an answer to. And he wasn't afraid to call out some of the older guys to keep them in line. And when young guys start seeing that, you know, that goes a long way. And the response of those older guys too, to know when you're, you may be being called out, how you handle that as a veteran uh, goes a long way in showing the young guys that look, if I can take it, certainly the young guy can take it and we all want to get better. So sometimes we're going to have to face some criticism uh, it, it's all for the good. And I think Vino's done a fantastic job. They've improved in all facets of their game. They're defending better. They kill plays quicker. They're able to get to the offense a lot quicker. Um, overall, it's been a real, a real positive move by Chuck Fletcher. Yeah, and just the transparency with AV, too. We've asked the players playing under him for that, too. It's just a very unique feature about him. And overall, I agree, completely just a successful guy, and hopefully he'll continue to bring that. Going back even farther, though, in your playing days, um, you mentioned the five-overtime game. And I know I've seen you uh, keeping up with the NBC Sports Philadelphia reruns, the 20-year anniversary, of course, last week. Um, what were your biggest memories from this? We've talked to Chris Terrian about it. We've even gotten Jim Jackson's take on the pizza. Um, now I want to hear your top story from that game. Uh, well, I mean, probably nothing that you haven't heard. I mean, like just uh, the overall exhaustion that you had after the game. Uh, I could remember – I'm not really sure how much weight I lost during that game, but I could remember – when I got done taking my gear off, I took my skate and I, and I poured it and I could pour water out my skate, um, which was pretty disgusting. But that's how much sweat that I had. Uh, I mean, sometimes I would lose 
in a, in a practice, I could lose seven pounds in a practice if it was a, a tough practice for a goaltender. So that, that game, I'm not sure what I lost. It was on the road, so we didn't have a scale. But we went through every imaginable piece of food you could think of from power bars, power gels, granola bars, to the pizza that we have post-game. And, um, but in the end, I mean, as exhausted as we were, I think we were still we still had this energy when we left the rink that early morning, knowing that we were alive in the series, and we probably felt pretty good about going home um, at that point. But that whole year was magical. That team was magical. A great group of veteran guys. Uh, truthfully, that was – I know we talk about 2009, 2010 for the Philadelphia Flyers going to the finals. But for me personally, that was my favorite team to play on. That 99-2000 team, we had – Bundy was on the team. Rick Tockett, <laughs> yeah. Mark Recchi. Uh, yeah. You know, great character guys and just guys that you love being around. And we had so much fun and we were so good. It's unfortunate that we fell short uh, because we blew a 3-1 series lead to uh, New Jersey in the conference final. I felt like we deserved a lot better. Jordan, well, you heard it there. I mean, if you want to drop a few pounds, just simply become an NHL goalie. Just go to practice and maybe just play in a five-overtime game. It's not that hard, right? Yeah, just find a five-overtime game uh, somewhere, and and we're good to go. Um, I I should find a five-overtime game to get into these days. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Just go get 57 saves, yeah. Right. And Brian, we were really, Katie and I were both really excited to ask you about Carter Hart. Um, that was when, uh, when you first came up. Uh, you came to the Flyers at a pretty early age. Carter was even younger when he first mm-hmm. came to the Flyers. Uh, what is it about him? Do you feel like he's, the reason why his jump to the NHL has been pretty smooth at such a young age? What do you think has gone into that? Well, I think he's been well coached. Uh, I think the mental side of the game for him, he's been coached at as well. And you can tell he's a very uh, calm kid. Uh, he seems more concerned about the process than he does about results. And I think that's important. And I think a lot of people talk about that stuff, but not a lot of people follow through on it. And I think that's a difference for him from what I see. I see a guy that's not caught up in trying to be the next, Bernie Perrant or whoever, you know, the Flyer fans want him to be. He's Carter Hart. He's a guy that's had a successful junior career, a guy that's been, um, you know, highly advertised, you know, and he probably should have been higher than a second round pick looking at his skill level that I see. But it's just a sign of the times where they're not drafting goaltenders in the first round like they used to, you know, whereas I was a first rounder, but I probably should have been a third rounder. I just was caught in a time when they wanted to take goaltenders in the first round, but he just seems like a guy that's mature beyond his years. Uh, I mean, he's he obviously he's got the physical tools, but it's what's between the years is what separates guys at the NHL level. And the ones that can figure that part of the game out uh, faster than others are the ones that are going to have success uh, faster than others. And I don't think this is a flash in the pan. This is a guy that strikes me as, like I said, worried about the process, worried about his system that he has to uh, take care of in order to get the results. And even if he doesn't get the results, I don't get the sense that he flies off the handle and decides he wants to change things up uh, on a whim. He's very measured in that sense, and and I think he's going to have a long, successful NHL career just because of that process that he that he treats his game. Yeah, mature is certainly a great word to describe, Mr. Carter Hart. Um, your favorite thing of Philadelphia? What was it? Was it the food? Was there a certain place you loved the most? What What was the best part of the city that maybe currently still is as well? I love playing hockey in the city of Philadelphia. It's why it's my home now. Uh, I I loved everything about it. I love springtime. 
during the playoffs. I love the excitement of the fans. I was fortunate to plan some teams that made some deep runs in the playoffs and really got a chance to experience that. It's a great sports town. Uh, it's a good hockey town. It's an underrated hockey town. I don't think people realize that. Everybody talks about Detroit and some of the Canadian cities, but this is a great place to play hockey. And if you can experience uh, a deep postseason run as a player, it'll be something that you never forget. And um, I'm proud, I, you know, I'm proud to have been on some of those teams. I wish we would have hoisted the Stanley cup, but I can tell you uh, in, in the United States, I can't speak for Canada. I only spent a brief time in Calgary uh, one year, but in the United States, it, you'd be hard pressed to find a better place to play hockey uh, come postseason than in Philadelphia. And you could sense, Brian, I'm sure how hungry the city was for a Stanley Cup. You, you guys got really close. Uh, do you feel like there was an excitement building uh, this year? I know it kind of started off slowly in terms of the excitement among the fan base, but it seems like fans really started to hop on board with this process this season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, I think the fans are starting to realize, too, in this league, the parity uh, that, is, that is here that every year is different. And just because you didn't do well last year doesn't mean there can't be a quick turnaround the following season. So it's not like you're in a, in a, in a 10 year drought and you're stuck there forever. You know, things can turn quickly draft. Well, guys play uh, above their ceiling development happens quicker. You know, these things can, can change the fortunes of a team. And I think the fans of Philadelphia were starting to see this flyer team kind of all talk about all these prospects that they had now starting to kind of come into their, into their own with the additions of some veterans, a new coach, and all of a sudden the confidence growing. I, I think there was genuine excitement about this Flyers team, and there should be because I think they have some good pieces. And uh, who knows? I mean, now with the break, I mean, does Nolan Patrick get healthy and is he back in the lineup at some point? Uh, you know, something to really get excited about. I, I really like this Flyers team. And like I said earlier, if I was an opponent uh, having to face the Flyers in a seven-game series – you know, especially with the way they were playing, I would have been really nervous just knowing uh, the confidence that was brewing inside that Flyer locker room. Your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app. Listen to Eagle Eye, Sixers Talk, Phillies Talk, and Flyers Talk now. Yeah, and you certainly keep up with it, of course, because now with NBC Sports, you do a great job uh, between the glass. How was that transition like? And one of my biggest questions is like, you are right down there, not playing, of course, but you're still in the action and you have guys alongside you that you played against, played with. Um, is, there, is there some fun going into every game when you get to relive some of, uh, or rekindle some of the old relationships in the league? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, the, the numbers are getting less and less, I think, as I, yeah. as I climb in age, you know, there's less guys around, but there's still some guys that I, that I played with that, uh, you know, still joke around with me and, uh, throw jabs here and there. It's fun to be involved and be around the game, but not so concerned about wins and losses. I think that's the one thing as a goaltender that you take home with you on a daily basis. You know, if you, you let in a bad goal or you're main culprit as to why the team lost, you know, it, it can be, it can be difficult. So now in this role and in this setting, you know, obviously I want to have a good broadcast. You know, you guys know how that goes and you, and nothing's yeah. perfect, but you know, you try every night to do better to be prepared, same, same ideas that I, the same principles that I took to being a player, I try to bring as a broadcaster. And, uh, but I, I, at the end of the night, when the game is over, truthfully, uh, I really could care less which team wins the game. Uh, I really don't care. And that's a nice uh, change you of pace. You just got to know who you're interviewing. You're like, where am I going? That's okay, right. That's right. 
Yeah, but I don't care. I don't. I don't care who wins because those days when I when I came home with the loss, boy, it was it was uh, some sleepless nights. <laughs> and Brian, it's so funny. As a, as players, I, I'm sure there's influences on you as a player as a, at a younger age. I'm sure it's maybe the same as a broadcaster. Any broadcasters that have kind of uh, been some of the bigger influences on you? Well, certainly guys like Keith Jones and Bill Clement have been uh, really uh, good mentors for me and, and have helped me along the way. Um, but everybody that I work with, truthfully, I mean, they're just fantastic. I mean, you just got to ask and they'll, they'll help you out along the way. And, you know, guys like Doc Emmerich and Eddie Olchek and, you know, everybody's been willing to lend a hand. And I think um, it's important because, like, as a player, you know, you think you know the game and you think you understand that. So you have no clue until you get into it and you see how much preparation, how much hard work goes on behind the scenes. Even some producers and directors that I've had along the way have helped me out with uh, tips here and there. And, you know, I'm still learning. I mean, I, I still feel like I'm green at this job and there's a, a long way to go, but it's um, – you know, I'm so grateful to have people that are willing to share knowledge, their knowledge and their experiences to help me and, and, and help me grow and, and at the same time still be around the game that I love. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fun job. I mean, playing hockey your whole life and make a living from it, it doesn't seem like it's a real job, you know, and, and now to be doing it on this side of it uh, and be a part of it. And, and I get to, you know, except for right now, I get to participate in the Stanley cup playoffs every year. There's no guarantee as a player that that happens for you. Right. You could, yeah. I played in Phoenix and missed the playoffs for like four straight years. So <laughs> come, come April, I know that I'm going to be part of a playoff series or two and just keep on uh, enjoying the grind of the postseason. And that's the one thing that I miss right now in the springtime is that there is no playoff hockey and I can't wait to, to get back to that. Yeah, you're retired from hockey, but it's still that team sport with TV, isn't it? It's just all hands on deck, everyone helping out for sure. Um, but you mentioned kind of what I wanted to get into next are maybe your top memory, your top moment from your broadcast career now. And, you know, it probably is something to do with the Stanley Cup playoffs. You've been very active. Even last year looked so fun. Um, what's been the top moment for you, if there is one? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I Maybe the, it has nothing to do with the National Hockey League. Uh, this one, going to the Olympics in Pyeongchang, uh, unfortunate that the NHL players weren't there. But for me, I would have never gone to South Korea ever in my life, uh, I don't think. Um, and I got, to, I got a chance to go to Pyeongchang and cover the 2018 Olympics. I thought that was pretty cool. I never got to experience the Olympics as a player. Uh, so that was, a, that was a real treat to be a part of that and see how the Olympic Games works. Uh, I, I would, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs, I've, you know, I've been in it as a player and it's, yeah. it's great to be a part of that. But that was something new and unique for me that I never thought I would ever experience in my life. So I, I would have to say that might be the, the highlight so far. That's awesome. And, and Ryan, it's so funny because I'm sure you've had so many Flyers fans come up to you and want to relive um, special memories and you've had some real special ones in Philadelphia. Uh, is there any specific moment that fans seem to ask you the most about, like, just like we are right now? I think the two that stand out are uh, the five overtime game and the shootout. I think yeah. those are the two that, that people ask me about. And um you know, if it had to come down to one singular moment, maybe it is that shootout that probably stands out as the, the, the greatest memory for me as a flyer, just because as a goaltender, like it's very rare that you have one single moment to make a difference in a game, right? Like it's usually, it's a, it's a team sport and it's over 60 minutes and you know, it's a collective effort, but 
in that setting, I mean, it, it literally is coming down to one save that you have to come up with. And uh, I'm just so stinking glad that I did because <laughs> I couldn't imagine if it went the other way, uh, how I would have to be reliving this during the pandemic uh, about how I gave up a shootout goal and lost to the Rangers. I'm just so happy it went the other way and I can live with yeah. that memory, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I remember your interview, too, with Michael Barkan. You were talking about you were pretty nervous. Like, you're like, I hate to admit it, but I was pretty nervous going over the bench before that shootout started. I was. I mean, uh, we, as athletes, we try to be cool, right? We're like, oh, yeah, we don't get lost in the moment. But that was one that was very difficult to not get your head wrapped around. Like, this is it, you know? And I was hoping that, you know, I know Danny Briere scored first. Mike Richards didn't score. But, man, would it have been so much better if Richie just would have scored? <laughs> and make my life so much easier. Um, instead, he missed, and, you know, they scored. And, you know, thankfully, Giroux gave me the lead, and, uh, and Ole Jokinen didn't make a very good move. But, uh, yeah, it, hard not to get nervous. And now that I look back 10 years later, I can fully admit that I was, I was scared to death. That must make you, yeah, going into games now, you're just like, hey, I, I, it's good not to be between the pipes right now. And I, I just don't have to care who wins or loses. It's just I get to call the game. That's probably the true, ben, I'm sure, the true joy now. Yeah, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be as nervous uh, then as I you – know, now I should never be as nervous as I was back then. There's no doubt yeah. about it. But I will say, though, sometimes, you know, doing these post-game interviews, you know, and the crowd screaming in your IFB and you wonder if you can hear, you know, your play-by-play -play guy throw it down to you. I get pretty nervous in those situations, too. I mean, that's a lot of high pressure to make sure you don't screw something up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Not many understand it, but you certainly, you do a good job with that. Um, and you do a good job hopping on the Flyers Talk podcast. Jordan, you see what I did there? That was a good transition, wasn't Great it? Great segue. <laughs> Mr. Brian Boucher, thank you so much. Um, and again, stay well and stay healthy. Hoping the same to your family. Um, and hopefully we do see you back up on the screen and, and just all of us covering hockey again soon. Yeah, great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Brian Boucher. Uh, such a treat having you on and hearing your insight. And we can't wait to hear you call a game soon. Katie Emmer, thank you so much as always. And I'm Jordan Hall. That is your latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and subscribe. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time.